been here many times. Billy Wayne uh, will be with us. So I uh, just wanted to let you know that. Um, excited, excited to, uh, to have him come join us again. We have him a couple times a year. And so um, very uh, exciting, exciting to have him coming in next weekend. So be praying for him. Um, and then also uh, be praying for Leroy. Uh, he's one of our trustees, as well as uh, John, uh, John Rowe. He, uh, he, is, he is sick uh, as well uh, this morning, and so he's not here. Uh, so be praying for them. Uh, Leroy's recovering from surgery, and then John, like I said, got, got sick yesterday. And so he is uh, he's actually in the hospital, so they're trying to get some things figured out there. So like I said, just, just be praying uh, for them. And so uh, for me, I am excited uh, to see what God does in us and through us uh, as a church, especially over uh, the next few weeks as we press in uh, all the more. Uh, I can't, no. They heard me the first time. Um, no, as, as, we, uh, as we press in all the more to see what, what God will do through us and with us, uh, especially as it uh, comes to having an opportunity, uh, even more so in the community, uh, to take the gospel to uh, our Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uh, and our prayer is one day the ends of the earth and what that will look like and what that will mean. And so uh, what we decide as a church, I believe, will have eternal ramifications. It, it, it will be uh, outstretching uh, forever and ever and ever. And so we have uh, an opportunity to impact. Man, I mean, like the, the, the light thing is like blowing up. My phone's talking to us. Do you want to preach? No, I'm not joking. No. Um, but, uh, gum it. what was I saying? No, we, uh, we do. We, we have, I think, let's, let's pray. We need to sanctify this. <laughs> Get out, demons. Um, so, <laughs> no place in here. Uh, Oh gosh, let's, let's pray and then we'll, we'll, go, we'll go at this and see what God's got for us. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. Uh, this, this is for your glory, for your great name. Uh, God, we do. We pray that you would move and speak in this place this morning. God, that you would use, uh, that you would use me somehow, some way, uh, Father, to just as a mouthpiece, just as a tool in your hands. And Father, I just pray, uh, God, as we've gathered here, if there be one that don't know you, Father, that you would awaken God in their heart the reality of their great need for you. Fathers, we, we see the story this morning and what you've put before us. Uh, Father, I just, I just pray, uh, God, that it would be our heart's desire to come alongside you and to proclaim to this world this truth, this truth that we're going to look at. Uh, so again, Father, we, we, we want to press in as well. We, we've got um, some heavy, weighty decisions that will far outlast the men and women in this room. And so, God, we, we want to be aligned with you. We want to follow you Press into you all the more. So God, we just, we ask you, we're seeking you to give us an answer, to help us hear from uh, you and uh, joyfully obey and follow. So God, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time together. I pray you move and speak uh, and make your presence known. In name we pray, amen. Amen. So, so last week, uh, as we're just kind of making our trek through the New Testament, we, uh, we looked at Jesus uh, raising Lazarus from the dead. And uh, I believe the very, the very heart behind that text, the heart-shaping reality from that story there of Lazarus was found in verse 4. And so I'll throw it on the screen for you uh, there of John 11. It, it says this, The sisters, they send for him, saying, Lord, uh, he whom you love is ill. So it kind of gives us an idea uh, of the relationship Jesus has with them. And then uh, when, when Jesus heard it, he said, uh, this illness does not lead to death, verse 4. But, but here, here it is. Here's the heart-shaping reality. It's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Uh, so the illness here of Lazarus is just an opportunity for what? For God to get glory. Uh, for God to get glory and, and, and point to how great and awesome and amazing he is. And so what appeared, appeared here as 
an impossible feat uh, to bring this man back to life. What the scriptures say that has been four days uh, dead uh, is really just an opportunity for God to shine. An opportunity for God to make his glory known and to work and to do uh, like only he uh, can. And so what, what seems like an impossibility is the very uh, ground that God thrives on. Uh, what appears to be impossible is the very place uh, uh, that God gets the most glory and the most honor. Because if we can do it, just work hard enough, just, uh, just figure some things out and just, just, just work through it. If we do it, then we get glory. But a man been dead for four days, God raises, uh, gets some people's attention, and it puts glory and honor back to where it should go. And so that's last week. Um, and so the story this morning is going to be found in the book of Luke Chapter 18, probably a story that you're familiar with. So if you have your Bibles, Luke 18, we're going to start in verse 18. And the heart behind this morning is this. The heart behind the story is this, and I believe it, it aligns itself perfectly for what we're going to be looking at as a church, what we're going to be deciding as a church in the upcoming weeks. And it's the story of the rich young ruler. And we're going to see the why for, for us as followers of Jesus and even the why uh, to even have a desire to plant a church, to, to even play a role in that in our world. So let, let's jump in. Luke 18, 18. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and so there, there it is right out of the gate. Right out of the gate, he comes to him and, and he asks him this very uh, deep question. And so the why to this story is, is a very, very big why. Uh, how even? How? Why? It, it's, 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 it's enormous. And I would even press us this morning that there's nothing more important than uh, what this young ruler asked Jesus. Uh, there's nothing in your life, in my life, in this world that is any more important than what this young ruler here is asking, to G- asking Jesus. So, so, so listen to it one more time. One more time. The ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. Very good question, a deep question, and one that Jesus can certainly answer, right? I mean, the things that Jesus says, the things that he claims, and for us looking back at the cross post-resurrection, uh, one that gets our attention and, and, and even allows us to be able to answer this question. So 2022, we are able with certainty this morning to answer this question. How does someone inherit eternal life? And, and to... to speak open and honestly with us this morning, that's the longing of every heart everywhere. That's the longing that God has implanted, put within every human heart everywhere. Eternal life. There is this longing, there is this desire uh, for something even outside of the here and now. And so I believe that's the why. That's the why this morning for us as followers of Jesus. That's the why here in the scriptures. That's the why for the heart and the desire to plant the church. Uh, That's the why for anything and everything that we do and that we are a part of is eternal life. That's it. That's the driving force behind everything that we do. And I know we live in a a wonky world right now as it comes to identifying ourselves and figuring those type of things out. But but for the Christian, for the church, there's only two ways to identify people. That's it. And I'm not, I'm not talking about male or female here, uh, though how people identify or what they say about themselves uh, uh, might be able to give us uh, an, an avenue to assess some things and to kind of figure out uh, where they're at. But what I'm talking about, even more importantly, is how you identify either male or female. I'm talking about dead, which means you're lost. Eternal life for you is not a good thing. It's separation from God. 
It's answering for your sin, paying the sin debt that you rightfully owe on your own, figuring that out, and that's eternity separated from him. Or the other way that someone can identify is by being alive. That's being born again. They are a saved someone who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, and that's it. So for us as believers, for us as the church, the way that we identify uh, the way that we, the lenses that we look through to assess where people are at is either they're, they're saved or they're lost. And, and that allows us uh, to know how do we interact with them? Uh, what do we say? What do we do? How do we serve? How do we care for? To what lengths do we go? Different things like that. It, it shows us and it allows us to have a deeper understanding. And so this young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him that question, a very important question. And so Jesus says to him in verse 19, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And I believe that's even a play in our world today. I believe that that's even a play in our world to assume that people are good. I mean, is that not the world we're living in? That we're good, that it's either the culture or it's either uh, 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 history or it's either family or it's either circumstances that, that has caused them to be like this. And my argument is no. I mean, that, that may play a little bit into it, but, but no. You're, you're not like what you do because of a circumstance or a situation. You're like what you do because of your heart. All of us in this room have, have got a struggle, have got an issue, have, uh, we're broken is what the scriptures teach. We're broken and we are sinful and we are wicked and that's the issue that every single one of us has. And so, uh, so this, this young ruler comes and says, uh, uh, good teacher, and that's the assumption that the world makes, is that we're good, that we're okay. It's just systems somewhere have messed up or got off track. Or my parents have jacked me up. Or whatever the case may be. But I would even argue that those of us in this room, we're not good. Now, now we're viewed as justified. We're viewed as holy because it's been imputed to us by Christ. Those of us who have come to faith, who have answered this question, how do I inherit eternal life? Like it's imputed to us through Jesus and what he has done. But the only way that we can claim any of that is because of Christ and what he has done in us and for us. But we live in a day in a world that assumes that people are good, that they'll be okay. And if God is loving, as God is gracious, he, everybody gets there. Everybody will make it, but the scriptures teaches the opposite. Even how Jesus handles this. Even how Jesus goes at this, he doesn't uh, pat his little shoulder and say, it's okay, buddy, You'll, uh, we'll get you there. We'll, uh, Jesus goes, goes right for it. He doesn't back down. He doesn't try to uh, not offend him. He doesn't try to hurt, not hurt his feelings. He, just, he, he tells him the truth. And the way that Jesus does that is by using the law. Jesus is going to point to the law and to show him how good man really is. And so the thing we've got to understand about the law is that the law is not a salvation, a way of salvation. The law is pointing to and showing us that we can't be saved. The law is pointing to and showing us how wicked and sinful we are and how much in need we are of a Savior, of a Redeemer, of a Rescuer. And so Jesus is going to point to that. Verse 20, he says, you, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And look at, look at the man's response in verse 21. He said, all these I have kept from my youth. What, what does that let us know about this young man? Is that he really doesn't get it. He, he, he really doesn't, doesn't get it. He, he doesn't understand what Jesus is saying. 
Because I know when we look at that, maybe even that little list there that says do not commit adultery, okay, I'm good, never done that. But, but what do we learn from Jesus? Jesus says, no, that if you look at someone with lust in your heart, then you're guilty. So Jesus goes as far as it's not just a physical act, but it's the act of the heart. It's the desire of the heart that makes us unclean, that makes us sinful and wicked. He, he goes that far. Do not murder. I mean, like, like we do background checks here. If you're going to watch your kids, if you're going to be a part of the children's ministry, youth ministry, ministries here, so we, we're going we're gonna to we know who we got. And murder goes further than just physically taking someone's life. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what Jesus shows us. He says if you have hate in your heart towards someone, then you're guilty of murder. He goes on, don't bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Don't steal. So if if we, we were to take a poll right now, even in this room, good church folk like us, we're 0 for 5. Because we're going to define stealing as taking something that doesn't belong to you. And it, and it doesn't matter if you, oh, I'll get, back, I'll get it back to him or I'll... Uh, that, that's, that doesn't matter. Stealing is taking something that's not yours. Do not bear false witness. Have you, have you ever lied? Have you ever told a lie? Bear false witness about someone. Lied, period. I would venture to say that we're all 0 for 5. And this young gentleman here says in verse 21, all these I've kept from my youth. He's kind of like, okay, I mean, he's probably feeling pretty good about himself right now. Oh, that's it? That's, that's all I've got to do? But there was something deeper going on in this guy's heart, was there not? Something is troubling this guy because he came asking Jesus, how can I have eternal life? How can I have eternal life? And he's like, I mean, I've, I've done that. I've, I've been there. I've done that. I've kept those. I've, I've, I've obeyed the law. And Jesus knows something about him. Just as we should know if we ask these questions to someone else. And they say, oh yeah, I've done that. I'm good to go. There, there's no way. And again, it's not the law that saves us. It's Jesus that saves us. The law just shows that we need to be saved. That the human heart is wicked. That we're not good. And so Jesus goes right for it. Right for it. He's aware and he picks up with where this man's at. And look at verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing. All right, all right dude, you, you, you've, so you're doing that. You've got it. So you think. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let you think that for a second. And he says, well, then there's this one thing that you still need to do. He says, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And look at what verse 23 says about this man. But when he heard these things, he became very sad. Why? Wow, for he was extremely rich. He became very sad because he was extremely rich. What, 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 it's not just says that he's got a bunch of stuff, but he's got, he's got an extreme amount of wealth. And verse 24 says, Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I know the thought is when we read this, okay, well, I'm, I'm good. That's, that's not us in this room. But like that, like that, okay, so I'm, I'm cleared there, I'm okay, I'm not, I'm not the rich guy here in this story, but, but, but I, I, would, I, would, I would press us on that for a second. I mean, we, we, live, we live in America. We, we live in America. I, I did some little research this week, and uh, this is some stats that I, that I found that I read, and, and it's, it's quite eye-opening, heart-shattering here. It says more than half of the world's population, this is of, of 2010, I'm sure it's probably a little worse with pandemic and things that's happened over the last few years, so more than half of the world's population lives on less than $2.50 a day. 
more than half of the world's population lives on less than two dollars. You, you can't even go to the store and buy a Coke and a candy bar for two fifty. I, I mean, two fifty a day. Listen to this: more than eighty percent of the population lives on less than ten dollars a day. Eighty percent, less than ten dollars a day. I'd venture to say probably that lunch for the majority of us through the week, we spend that in one sitting. And 80% of the population lives on what we'll eat for lunch. What we'll eat for lunch. To put some perspective to that, the average American, listen to this, the average American spends about $7 a day on entertainment alone. $7 a day. 50% of the world lives on $2.50. 80%. 80% less than $10 a day. And we'll spend on one day, $7 in entertainment. And, and many more, twice than that, on transportation. On transportation. And, and so w- what I want to press us on this morning is, is this is the same, same thing that the struggle with the rich young ruler here. The, the rich young ruler, one, he didn't understand and didn't see his great need for Jesus. He just wanted something. He just, he just wanted to know that he'd be okay in the end. Which is, is that not a picture of our world and our day? I just want to know that I'll be okay in the end. What, what do I got to do? What do I, let's, not, let's not make it too hard, too difficult. And it's really not that hard and difficult. It's not. It's, it's, it's not. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing how easy it is. Mind-blowing how easy it is. And the scriptures teach that even a child can get it. Even a child can get and understand it. But the problem in this story here, and I would probably even argue not so much that the fact that he's rich or extremely rich, because see, the man had a lot of stuff. See, I think the problem in the story with this story with this guy here, maybe a better way of saying it would be the man's stuff had him. It wasn't that he had his stuff, but his stuff had him. Because hear me, I don't believe that God's against wealth. I don't believe that God's against you having stuff. It's when your wealth or your stuff has you, when you hoard it on self, when you make it about you, when you rely on it over relying on God, when, when you don't see things right, rightly as they should be. I believe that's the issue here in the story. And something was going on in the man's heart where he, he realized and he understood that, that, that there's something greater out there. The problem was when he heard what the cost would be when he heard what the cost would be. The story goes on in verse 26 and says this. says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But Jesus says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's the only God can open eyes and hearts to the reality of how poor one is in spirit compared to how rich they may think that they are. And it's not about a financial thing. It's about what Jesus preached on the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. See, it's realizing and understanding that we are bankrupt spiritually. That goes back to the argument about us being good. No, we're not. We're poor beggars on the side of the road. And unless someone steps in, something steps in, and that's God that steps in and awakens us and, and, and helps us in that moment, we are doomed. Doomed. What's impossible, God, what's impossible with man is possible with God. So, so think about that, church, this morning. For those of us in this, this room, the, the room who probably make more in one hour than 80% lives on in a day, who are saved, 
the only reason, the only way that we're saved is because God has opened up our eyes and our heart to the reality of our uh, uh, being bankrupt, our poor in spirit, our great need for Him. We were no different than this rich young ruler. One day we come before Jesus and we say, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And he says the same thing to us. He says the same thing to us. Your only hope is my son. Your only hope is my son. And then verse 28, Peter says this. See, we have left our homes and, and followed you. And, and almost like Peter said, we, we've done that, right? Like Jesus, we, we, we've counted the cost. We've left things that are important to us, that we value, that we think that are important. And in verse 29, he says to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom. That's it, for the sake of the kingdom. Why have you done that? And, and I would even press us this morning, why do you do what you do? Everything you do. Is, is it for the glory of God? Is it for the glory of you? Do you want to make the headlines or do you want to point all glory and honor and credit to the one that deserves it, which is King Jesus? That, that's a huge thing right here. Ah! For that thing in the lake. He says, for the sake of the kingdom of God. Verse 30, who, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So what I would press us with this morning is this, is that there's always a cost to following Jesus. But what we as the believer inherits is far, far greater than the cost. Far, far greater than the cost. Anything Jesus wants from me here now, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. I don't care how uncomfortable it makes me. I don't care how frustrating it may be. Because here, following Jesus, there's frustrating times. It's not always like little angels flying around and like rainbows and like stuff like that. I mean, it's difficult. It's frustrating. It's aggravating. It's having to do things that my flesh don't want to do. It's having to act ways that sometimes I don't want to act. It's having to do things that I don't want to do. But at the end of the day, I don't, I don't have a say for my life. I, I, I don't, I, I don't, I've laid that down at the, at the altar. I've laid that, I've laid that down at, at the reality of what Christ has done for me. His glory, His greatness. So to close, this is the takeaway. First thing is this. Church, eternal life's at stake. The, the why. Uh, the, the why to anything that we do is because eternal life's at stake and, and, that, and that every human has a soul and that soul will either spend eternity with Christ or separated from Christ. And, and he's given us the privilege and honor of going and proclaiming. Uh, that's what we get. We get to tell people about this Jesus. We get to tell people who are hungry for eternal life and have no idea the reality of where it comes from or how you inherit it or, or, or where you get it. You just, you just got to be good or you just got to attend church. You've got to be religious or you've, you've got to have read the Bible or you have to attend on Christmas and Easter or you have to uh, uh, be nice and help your neighbor or you have to uh, say the right things in the wrong times maybe. Or you have to, I mean, there's all kinds of ways out there. We've been given the opportunity and the ability to go and share the second takeaway is, is this, is that none is good. Not one of us. They said we're all wicked. We're all wicked and broken, is what the Scripture teaches. The, the third takeaway is, is this, for, for those that believe in Jesus, though we are financially rich, we're spiritually poor. Uh, we, we're living on more than the majority of the world, 80% of the world, I mean, in one hour of our job, making 80% more than what 80% of the world lives on. The fourth takeaway is this. God can rescue and save anyone. I and mean, that's the driving force too. 
I don't care how bad you think someone is. I don't care how far gone you think someone is. I don't care how wicked you... God can rescue and save and bring the most dead person back to life. And then the last thing that we can take away is this, is, is the cost is well worth it. The cost is well, well worth it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? We just read that a few weeks ago in our reading. What does it profit us if we gain everything that this world has to offer? And we live it up. We enjoy ourselves. We have the finest of finds. Oh, I'm going to put you in my pocket. I will. We are doing something important, and she's trying to ruin it. But, but what, does, what does it profit if you gain everything and live, live life to the fullest here and have your wildest dreams come true and get everything that you could have ever wished for or wanted or hoped for and spend eternity separated from Christ? Eternity separated from God. So, so the why for us as believers is eternal life. The why for the church plant is eternal life's at stake. So, so Jesus has called his followers to go make disciples no matter the cost. And the cost is worth it. The cost is well worth it. Well, well worth it. And, and the reality is this, we sit here in this room today because someone has counted that cost and they've done it for us. They have paid that cost even for us. They've thought that it was worth the value to pursue and be obedient to Jesus. They've done it. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to pray and then after I pray, we were going to do a song, and we we're kind of go. I'm, I'm going to shift. I'm going, I'm going to go. I want to share with you the why. I'll just share with you the why. I want to share with you some of the uh, the other things about the church plant opportunity here. So I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to cut the live feed, and then we're just going to talk as a, as a church family, and we're going to share for a moment. I'm going to give you opportunity to ask questions, and uh, for us to just really figure out and walk through some of this together of what it would look like for us. Because because I stand here this morning, and I believe that it's worth it. I believe that it's worth us stepping out and pressing into and following Jesus in this. As impossible and as crazy as it may appear and it may look right now, I believe it's well worth it because there's a world that is lost in need of Jesus. And there's an opportunity for us as the church to let this world know how to inherit eternal life. So I'm going to ask you to join me as we pray and then we'll continue, continue on. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you so much for this morning, God, for the story eternal life and how we inherit that. We inherit that through a relationship with you, the sacrifice that you've paid on the cross. Father, it's our faith and our trust in what you've done. It's not even our faith in our faith. It's our faith in the object, and you are the object. And Father, in that, you've asked us to give up everything, Father, which that's what salvation is. We give up everything that we think is important and good. And Father, we cling to your everything. So God, I just pray this morning as we continue to talk, we continue to look at, we continue to walk through this. Father, that you would speak and that you would move in a mighty way. Direct us, guide us, help us hear from you, and help us follow after you. Shall we pray? Amen.